This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, let's go. Let's, it's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Sorry, we had some technical difficulties there. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Sorry about that. We've got Ben Dowsett, though, back, associate editor, joining us back from the, the faraway nation of Canada where, uh, you know, I don't know, people are probably less sad about this Dante Exum news. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think a few of them probably just don't really know about it necessarily. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, and I appreciate, by the way, Justin Sweeney on, on Twitter chiming in. We can hear you, Andy. <laughs> it's good we didn't say anything embarrassing during that, I don't know, yeah, however long we were on the is. air without say, knowing it. Um, we've got a good show for you guys, though. First of all, I, 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 it's a sad show, right? You know, this Dante Exum news legitimately sucks, right? I think we both agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, we're gonna. It does give us something to talk about, though. So, uh, you know what this silver means linings. for Dante Exum. I there are no silver linings. Yeah, are I, there I, any? I tried. No, no, no. I was saying that the that the fact that it gives us something to talk about is a oh. minor silver lining. I try <laughs> and find silver linings in everything. Easier, I find. But, uh, yeah. I mean, we don't care, right? Like, we'll talk about the Jazz. If Dante Exum didn't get hurt, which I think both you and I would prefer, uh, you know, we would have found something statistical to talk about we would have talked about the upcoming season we would have been optimistic everything would have been great and instead not so much yeah uh yes anyway you can tweet us by the way during the show at andy b larson to tweet me at ben underscore dowsett to tweet ben uh also later on in the show in the eight o'clock hour we've got ian levy coming on he's fresh off a promotion to be the managing editor of hardwood paroxysm uh, and that HB Basketball Network, which also encompasses a whole bunch of other cool sites. So that's neat. We'll talk to him. He wrote a great article about the Dante Exum situation today. Uh, we'll we'll talk to him about that as well as the rest of the NBA. Uh, and, of course, you can always call us at 877-353-0700. We're all scrambled today. Somebody tweet me what channel the debate is on so I can tell my mom. Some Fox I, News. I, I don't know what channel that is. I, I I thought I turned the TV to Fox News for her before <laughs> I left, and now she's text. Now she's texting your me mom saying doesn't, that she can't find Your mom it. doesn't have the TV guide? My mom is about as technologically inept as human beings but, are in the year 2015. Yeah, but that's when you got to like subscribe to the actual old paper TV guide magazine that they have every week that has the actual listings and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, somebody tweet me what channel is on. Like on DirecTV, like the number channel on DirecTV. Sorry, I've distracted really badly. Let's talk about Dante Exum. Let's talk about Dante Exum. Like I said, this legitimately sucks. Let's just set the scene with, with what actually happened. Tuesday, Dante Exum was playing in a friendly with the Australian national basketball team. Uh, was driving to the rim, a rare thing for Dante Exum, although perhaps not anymore since you know we saw him do that 
quite often in, in his summer league game. Although it had been so far based on his Australian play. He That's had basically true. never even been allowed to have the ball in his hands yeah. before that. And maybe he was excited by that, took, decided to drive through the hole, did a lovely jump stop, landed on his heels, left knee kind of buckles inwards, uh, clear sign of an ACL injury, uh, an ACL tear. Looked a lot like Derrick Rose's from three years ago. That's my first, um, my first thought. It was just, you know, almost exactly the same kind of play. Kind of had to pull up a little bit because there was a defender in the lane that kind of stopped him from, from going the whole way, I think, and, and ultimately uh, put a lot of pressure on that ACL ligament and tore it. Uh, so he is now out for a, a very long time. The Jazz did not give a recovery timetable for Dante Exum, I don't really expect them ever to, so they don't get into that Derrick Rose situation of of maybe having a media and, and fan base expect a guy back and then not seeing him back. I don't think we should expect him back this season at all, even, I agree. If, even if they make the playoffs. I, yeah, I, I agree. He's probably not there yet. You'd still probably rather see him work out. And, you know, it, it's not like Derrick Rose where he was the guy who, uh, you know, was your MVP, your franchise leader, et cetera. Yeah. He's a, a complimentary piece, a young complimentary piece who's still growing. You don't necessarily need him right away. Um, however, I think the sooner the better he gets back in terms of his own personal development, That's th- that would be a good sign for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, they flew him back yesterday, did the MRA today, confirmed that it was indeed the Torre ACL. Um, it sounds like it wasn't worse. It sounds like there was no MCL or PCL damage, which, which is, is good. very good in that it, it shortens the likely uh, recovery time. And did that we, way. did we hear anything about whether it was? I'm like three hours off a plane here, so I did. Yeah, we, that's did, impressive. By the way, you flew from Toronto today. You're you're off the plane. I, I don't know. I'm I'm impressed. Thank Go you. Well, <laughs> did we have we heard whether it was a, a full tear, partial tear? Great. Aren't there multiple grades of these types of tears? I'm the furthest thing from a doctor, but there wait. are. Uh, Have however, we heard any of those details at all? However, we haven't heard any of those details, and in fact, it still sounds like the Jazz want to do a little bit more analysis there of right. what's actually going on on his knee. Okay. So, anyway, uh, what's, let's start out with what this means for Dante Exum. Later on in the show, I want to talk about if the Jazz need a replacement, uh, some possible replacements at the point guard position. But let's talk about just the Dante Exum part of this story. Right. ACLs, first of all, have a at this point a pretty good success rate in terms of returning successfully from from ACL surgery, especially a guy that young. Yeah, agreed. Uh, you look at I've got this list of NBA players who have had ACL tears in the last thirty years, um, and it's it's quite a lengthy list. Some names that you'll remember: uh, Kendrick Perkins tore his and and did not really get that same explosion back. Josh Howard, same thing, although he had two ACL tears. Um, on the other hand, guys like David West uh, have kind of returned back to their original form. Ricky Rubio, I think that got in the way of his development a little bit, like it could with Exum. Uh, Rajon Rondo hasn't really turned out to be the same player since. Gallinari ha- hasn't really yet. Uh, going up, let's see, Kyle Lowry, however, had an ACL uh, surgery and kind of came back maybe better than ever. Uh, Corey Brewer, you can you can make a case either way. Al Jefferson, former Jazz man, Jazz players or Jazz fans know well, probably came back better after his second year. His first year back wasn't as good, but I think his second year back was was probably his be- the best year of his NBA career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you kind of look up and down the list, and it, it's a mixed bag. Some guys turn out to be just as good as they ever were, and some guys don't, quite frankly. And and there, I think there's a real risk in that. That happens to Dante Axum. And I think the other part of that is, kind of, as we may get into in a little bit, is 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 the confidence factor, which was already 
such a huge factor in his game because we saw some of the physical stuff last year, but we just didn't see the, the, the mental side of it a lot of the time. He just wasn't willing to, to make certain plays because you could see it was in his head to a point. And you worry now that that's, you know, all of a sudden, he you know, this summer, he's finally started going to the hoop like everybody wants him to. He's gotten hurt three times, right. including a major serious injury that's going to keep him out for a full year. And you wonder if, you know, if for all that everybody talks to him and for all the experience that he can get and the right voices in his ears, if he's not subconsciously thinking like, man, I finally start going to the hoop and all of a sudden I can't stay on the floor. And if that starts to subconsciously affect his game in the future. I'll say this, that he does have youth on his side. Oh, yeah. You look at kind of up and down this list of players, and I think you have better outcomes for the players who were younger when they had their ACL tears. So, for example, Kyle Lowry was in college when he had his. Uh, you look at, say, Rajon Rondo had his. Uh, or Sorry, not Rajon Rondo. Uh, Ricky Rubio, mm-hmm. two RR players, yeah. <laughs> uh, point guards. But, yeah, Ricky Rubio had his at a young age, and I think he's recovered well. Uh, I, I think age does help here in terms of recovery. You know, just because the the younger human body recovers faster as as I think has has been pretty clear. Definitely. Um I, I, but it's not it's not 100%. I I think that's something that Jazz fans have to realize now is that there's not 100% that Dante Exum, you know, becomes the player that he he could have been as a result of this injury. Yeah. Um I agree with you that there's a mental issue there that will he drive to the paint? I will say that it's a good sign that he sprained his ankle in his last game driving to the paint. And then still felt the need to do this in his second game back from that. Bit of a different However, thing. However, yes, yeah, bit of a different thing. You know, obviously a, a sprained ankle is very different than an ACL tear. Um, another question. You know, we we said, do you try to bring him back this season? I think the answer is probably not. You know, unless there's, just, there's unless there's every indication that he is one hundred and ten percent on all fronts. Which would be awesome. Which would be great, but I just based on the history of this injury, and it'll probably be a few days before they can get him surgery. It based on the typical recovery time for this injury, unless as we were mentioning earlier, it's maybe like only a very partial tear or something that makes it a slightly less recovery time. I don't, I don't see it happening. I feel like any date like that would be would be if you're trying to get him back by April, May type of thing would be would be pushing it. Gotcha. Uh, do you? Do you try to bring him back? Do you try to let him play, I guess, in the Rio Olympics? Let me ask you that. You know, Australia looks like they're likely to qualify for the Olympics. Um, they just need to beat New Zealand in this series at the end of this month. Uh, New Zealand's basketball team, the Tall Blacks, as they call them, which is my yeah. favorite basketball pun. Yeah. Um, well, it's based on the rugby All Blacks, right? Right, yeah, yeah. but the, the basketball team is Yeah, the, the Tall Blacks. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> um, anyway. My thoughts on that are really mixed. I am firmly not in the camp of ban NBA players from playing internationally. I think if they want to play, they should be able, for the vast, unless there's like a, you know, a Manu Ginobili type situation where there are legitimately, they have actual current injuries that they don't want to exacerbate or anything like that. But a guy like Dante Exum, who, you know, he, he's young and, and is proud of his country and wants to play, I don't think there should be a problem with that. At the same time, I have a, a 30 second tangent and half Ben rant to go on here for a <laughs> okay, second. Okay, let's do it. Why? Was Dante Exum allowed back out onto the floor wearing only tape around the side of his knee? I know he was on crutches, and I know that he maybe he wanted to come back out and watch the team. Yeah. Uh, why was he allowed to do that? If there was even a slight suspicion that he had torn his ACL, which we saw reports, I don't know whether they were true or not, reports that he had been uh, primarily diagnosed in the locker room at the time. Yeah. Even if there was the suspicion of that, why was he allowed to put any weight on it at all, and why was he out there wearing a very limited amount of bandaging and pretty much just keeping it? Uh, 
I don't know what, what else I, is he going to do back in the locker room. Uh, it's not, okay, he's I, not putting that much weight on it because he's got crutches, so it's not like he's he's putting weight on it on on that left side. You know, he's kind of hobbling along like you do with crutches. I, I don't see a problem for him going out there and having his leg elevated on the bench compared to having it elevated in the locker room well, in, in the, the other, same uh, environment. Again. The other issue, the other reason I ask is because if I was 20 years old or had just turned 20 years old and was just informed that there was a very good chance I was going to miss the next season of the only thing I love to do or one of the major things that I love <laughs> to do in my life, I would not be able to hold it together in front of a group of people out there. I, I, I'm not like condemning anything. I'm not a medical professional. I don't know that Wait, you know the. Are you saying that like you would have you would have kind of broke down in tears? Like what? what might have you... like legitimately. I might have like that's it, this is like a big thing in your life that's happening oh, here, sure. and it's a long road to recovery. You're going to go through a lot of pain. You're going to have to go through surgery, and you're he's he's young. He's 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 20 years but old. I, not... I I I don't want to get like like too deep into it, and I'm I'm sure that the medical professionals did the correct medical thing but my first thought when we started to hear that it may indeed be an ACL tear was if it was me I would not have had him back out there on the bench well it's not like they were like hey son you need to go out there on the bench and support your team so your team has to look at you you know kind of injured over on the sideline that's that's almost a distraction for those out on the court right like it must have been Dante saying hey I want to go out there and watch Watch yeah. the rest of and, the I, and I guess that's fair. And like I said, I don't mean to condemn anybody necessarily. I that that did pop into my head though, is wondering why he, they, they were even kind of allowing that much. But who knows? I, I I just I don't know that it makes a difference. But you're right. I I it's it's a small thing right. either way. Here's what the point guard situation looks like right now. The Jazz, as previously discussed on this show, have were probably likely to bring in four point guards into this season's roster. They like Bryce Cotton a lot. He's the only non guaranteed guy. Uh, but they they probably would have kept him on the roster and and gone forward with him even before this injury. Now it looks like it's it's almost certain unless they were to acquire a, a another point guard in a trade or free agency. Did we determine whether or not? I know this was somebody was asking on Twitter. Did we determine whether or not the Jazz get any sort of an exemption as far as a roster slot if Dante goes on IR? They do not get a roster spot. I believe that I'm like 98% sure on this. Okay, and that's this is what kind I of CBA too. finagling, yeah. but I'm I'm 98% sure they don't get a roster spot unless they have four players uh, injured at the same time. So okay. obviously Dante would contribute to that, but it's it's not a hardship case yet. Yeah, like that sounds right. Uh, however, they can file for disabled player exception and get more money under the salary cap if they so choose. Not that they need uh, it. At this not point. that they need it, and in fact that they were below the cap makes that makes it so they can't file for yeah. the exception because that's an exception to the cap. So right. Okay, so now it, we're good. It doesn't good, really good. do anything. Yeah. Jazz's point guard position right now, they have three point guards left. Trey Burke, Bryce Cotton, Raul Neto. Trey Burke's resume uh, has been the, the subject of much uh, talk around the, the Jazz this summer, and in particular because, you know, it's he's a, he's a second-year point guard, third-year point guard next year, but he's just, as Zach Lowe put it in his article today, he's been borderline disastrous. Uh, out there on the floor in his first two seasons. Last season, he was the first point guard in 50 years since the 1964-65 season to shoot over 1,000 shots and miss more than 63% or make fewer than 37% is probably the the more normal way to put that. Uh, And that's a disastrous combination. Whenever you're shooting that many shots and missing that many of them, like there have been a lot of chuckers in in NBA history that he's the first in 50 years to accomplish that stat is, is not a good sign. And I think many people would argue that he doesn't uh, do enough in terms of facilitating or defensively in order to make up for it. I do think his defense is a little bit underrated at this point. I think people think that he's an awful defender. And really, in the, in the last two to three months of last season, I think he showed he's an adequate to average defender. 
Do you, do you agree? I don't know that I'd go to average, but I would agree. And I, I was tweeting some stuff about this yesterday that he that I I do think he his improvements he made at the end of the year kind of went a little bit unnoticed. But like basically everyone on the Jazz, he did improve last year as the year went on. He got better positionally. He got uh, a little bit better at his you know recognizing screens and things like that before they were right in his face. You know, tr- taking better routes around them. So I, I would agree with that, although I don't know that I could get to average yet just because he's still very small and very slow for his position. And, and that's the problem is it, those kind of lack of tools prevent him from ever becoming a, a good or great defender just because he, he doesn't have the height or the speed or the length necessary, really. Yeah. I mean, actually, Quinn Snyder talks about his length as being actually pretty decent for his size. It is. I think um, he has like a 6'5 wingspan. But, you know, he's not really generating steals with it. And so, you know, and he's, it's not like he's blowing up pick and rolls like uh, an Elijah Millsap or a Dante Exum, for example. Yeah. Um, so what are, what, let's, let's look at Bryce Cotton and not sure. round that, because those take a lot less time because they're a lot more unknown. Yeah, but we don't know a lot about Bryce Cotton. He's a D-League player. I, I don't feel confident with, comfortable, quite frankly, with him starting games at, at the NBA level. Um, in particular, he's not a uh, he's not a facilitator at any level. He is a better shooter than Trey Burke. I think that's fair, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he's a worse defender, quite frankly, than Trey Burke. I I don't really? think that he he's quick. Don't get me wrong, but I think his lack of size, when compared to Trey Burke and lack of length, allows people to more easily finish over and around and and through him. He does get caught up on screens. At least that's kind of what my scouting take is from watching him in summer league. I've actually thought he was a little better as far as the as far as laterally moving around screens, things like that. But I do agree that especially if you started trying to put him against NBA starters on a consistent basis, that lack of size would really, like even more than Trey, would really get exploited to a high level. I do agree with that. And Neto, we know even less about. Yeah, Neto is is hard because, yeah, I mean, you've got the translation issues to deal with as well. I mean, he's projects to be a pass first, and as Dennis Lindsay put it, pass second point guard, that he's going to be a straight setup man. Uh, the problem with that in the NBA is that teams start to ignore you as, yep. as a result on offense. Uh, you know, I, I think his best best case is is someone like Ricky Rubio, but he has no, uh, you know, he hasn't shown that kind of skill so He's far. He's nowhere near as talented as Rubio at the other parts of the game. I, I've admittedly been somewhat bearish on Neto, the, and and I'll I'll readily admit that that's not based on a huge sample of minutes I've actually watched him play. I've watched what I can, and then some of it is I've talked to some some Euro people who watch a lot of Euro basketball that I that I really trust. The thing I hear consistently from these people is that opposing teams did not even scout Raul Neto much when they played against him in the ACB. That there were other guys on the team that they were that and he was not considered one of the primary threats they were playing against. Yeah. And like you said, pass first is great. You love a guy who's unselfish especially cuz the Jazz if he, you know, if he's playing with the starters, the Jazz have plenty of guys that can score, but if you can't score, defenses are going to start to play you differently. It's a five-man game, and that's going to make it difficult on everyone else on the floor. He shot just 20% from the three-point line last year, and, and remember, that's the shorter FIBA three-point line. That's yeah. about a foot shorter. And over a larger um, sample, he's 29% over four years. Yeah, I, I, he did shoot it well one year, I will say, his second year in, in the ACB. Um, and, you know, decently, his, his third year, only 33%. But at least that's not as catastrophic as the 20% where, you know, you can just safely ignore him. Yeah. Um, again, not a guy who I'd feel comfortable giving a starting role. 
No, and and so now you're at a point where we're looking at three guys, and it's like, are you completely comfortable? You know, you're probably most comfortable with with Trey, especially assuming he can continue some of the defensive progress he made last year. And uh, like, it can't get that much worse with the shot. No, like, it can't, and it it should hopefully get. In fact, if you, he's going to be starting a you know seventy plus games for the Jazz this year, it has to get better. But that, I do think that like his his chucking in particular, the number of shots he takes is, is more suited to a backup role, just because you're not playing with Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and, and Rudy Gobert. I looked up a stat today that when both Gordon Hayward and Trey Burke were on the floor together, Trey Burke actually shot about 10% more shots than Gordon Hayward did, even when they're on the floor at the same and time. That, like, that, just, it, that, just, that can't happen, right? You, you need to, I, I don't know what has to happen there, whether Trey Burke has to have like a, a come-to-Jesus sort of moment. where A come-to-Quinn moment. <laughs> well, Quinn was his coach for all of that's, last year, that's, and no, he, cont- you know, he chucked more and more and more as the season went on. Although he was kind of enabled to do that near the end right. of the year, to a point. But right. no, that doesn't defeat what you're saying. Uh, I, I, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he kept talking about how his teammates uh, kept encouraging him to shoot, you know, knowing that ideally he's a good shooter. Um, privately, I've heard, by the way, that jazz, you know, the jazz players were publicly very much for Trey Burke, but privately kind of frustrated by his performance out there on the court, kind of knowing that they, he, him missing so many shots was killing them. Well, I think that leads us to the logical next point. Do you think the jazz need to acquire someone else at the position? <sighs> It's a hard question, right? Uh, I I think so. I mean, I, I do. Uh, I don't think that I feel comfortable having Trey Burke play 35 minutes a night. I'm not confident enough in his ability to tone it back with the shots and uh, you know become a facilitating point guard, which I think you'd really like in that starting lineup. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see anything in his NBA resume that shows that he can become that player. Straight now, up. what I, w- I will say this much, that he, he had good... Uh, no dribble jumper numbers last year, like good as a pretty good-ish. good as good ish at least. And if, which is a, bit, a huge if, as we've been discussing, if you could get him to a point where he was really doing only taking the shots you wanted him taking, allowing Gordon and potentially Rodney Hood and Alec Burks to be the facilitators while they were on the floor, doing a lot more spotting up on the weak side and things like that. You, I think you could make him into a passable starter, but that's that's a massive if. So he shot thirty six point. 36.4% on catch-and-shoot jumpers last year. Which that's is... A, but it's not good. It's better than most of his other shooting metrics, I guess, is one, <laughs> is, is one way to That's put what's it. so hard about it, is you look at it, and, you know, I actually did this comparison. I may have this in a KSL article, depending on how mean I decide to be to Trey Burke. Uh, but if you look at every single type of shot there is, from catch-and-shoot, pull-ups within 3 feet, 3 to 10 feet, shot clock with 15 to 7, 4 seconds left, whatever, closest defender with ten, within 2 feet, the whole 9 yards of sport view and everything else, literally every single stat, Gordon Hayward is a better shooter than Trey Burke, which is kind of obvious, right? Like Gordon Hayward is a good player. Yeah. is a better shooter than Trey Burke, but like usually there's something that you can say like, hey, Trey, maybe you know don't take as many pull-ups and take some catch-and-shoots. I still don't, I don't know that that's enough to make him a reasonable offensive player. Right, and you know the we saw to to transition a bit. We saw uh, some analysis from Kevin Pelton today on ESPN that yeah. his, his analysis took the Jazz from four, five wins down from forty seven to forty two, based almost purely on the defensive downgrade that's going to come from Dante to basically anyone any of those other guys that you could put on the floor. And I, I want to. I also had some tweets about this yesterday, and I want to th- go on the record and thoroughly agree with Kevin Pelton here. I understand there were some numbers, especially post-All-Star break last year, that indicated that Trey may have been a similar defender to someone like Dante Exum. Guys, he's not. 
He's sorry. He like yeah. there there could be and like I said before, I think Trey made some real improvements defensively at the end of last year. There are there's a big difference between him and Dante Exum as a defender, and there's going to be a drop off. And, and I think some of that, by the way, is Dante Exum's maybe not as good of a defender as as we've kind of made him out to be, and that he's still a rookie, was still making some kind of off ball mistakes. He, it wasn't yeah. many. But and he was certainly much better than most rookies are. But I think some of that comparison there is is comes from both ends. If that makes right, sense. yeah, uh, yeah. But I agree with you. I mean, obviously that's a downgrade, and I, I agree with Kevin Pelton that you know I think it's it's reasonable to expect kind of a five. I don't know about five. That's the part I would. I don't know that yeah. I go with all the way to five wins, but I I definitely agree. There's going to be a noticeable downgrade, and I think that I I think depending of course on the asking prices and on the the specifics involved that I might agree with you that at least kicking the tires on certain replacements or or additions to the platoon, if you will, might be the right way to go. Agreed. I, I've got uh, a bunch of different free agency and, and trade options coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show. We'll talk about those options, talk about one guy who's actually already been rumored by our guy Jody Genesee at, at the Deseret News. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett joining you from Salt City Hoops, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. I want to make one more point why I think the Jazz need a point guard before we get into uh, the kind of the, the breakdown of who they should have at that spot now that Dante Exum has been hurt. I think not having a good point guard hurts Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. And in particular, it hurts, I, I think I'm most concerned about Rudy Gobert's development yep. there. And it, so it's not just a short-term concern where you're like, hey, these players can and can get along. You know, I think Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors are, are pretty close to the players that they're going to be at their primes. Yeah. Uh, but I think that not having a point guard allows the rest of the defense to kind of play five-on-four a little bit, um, bring more help. And we saw some of this at the end of last season by the, by the smart scouting teams. Uh, that they could just leave Dante Axum or leave Trey Burke out there and and not worry about getting punished. And I think that doesn't allow, say, Rudy Gobert to get off his floater well, for example. Yeah. I don't think it allows Derek Favors to roll into the paint as well as he did at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I don't think it allows Gordon Hayward to have any freedom on the pick-and-roll to move. I don't think it allows Rodney Hood to have freedom on, on his burgeoning pick-and-roll game. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are kind of little developmental issues that, that might happen if, if there's not a, a point guard upgrade for next season. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I would agree with you that Gobert, I think, is the one who could be hurt the most by that. Because not only does he not get the chances you mentioned, he doesn't get chances to get to receive the ball as the role man. to Because he can make plays out of that. We saw it last year. He can make good passes. He can make the right decisions. He can dunk when it's the right situations. That when you get less of those plays, a few less time, you know, you, everybody hears you. You want to get the ball in the, in the hands of your big man as much as you possibly can, so he doesn't feel like he's he's marginalized and like he's not doing anything, and his only job is to play defense. Which I don't think Rudy Gobert feels he, like he, he takes he enough wants pride in defense anyway. Right, so in defense. yeah, but you know the, the the cumulative effect. I agree. So all right, so let's get into it then. Who who are some guys that re- I think we have to look at realistic guys? Because like, sure, I'd love to. I'd still love to trade for Drew Holiday because he's still a target of mine, but I don't think it's happening. Alvin Gentry is KB. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So just talking about free agency first of all, let's let's just acknowledge that the free agent pickings are slim. Extremely. Okay? So you've got Donald Sloan. Uh, yeah. Shelvin Mack, maybe him and G Time could be renew their friendship. But I'm but actually not 100 percent sure Shelvin Mack is a free agent. I I think he is, but let's. I mean, we'll I'm double check up, on I'm that. I'm looking it up just to confirm, but I'm, I thought I saw earlier that he's still with Atlanta for. 
Uh, yeah, he's under contract with Atlanta through two more years. Oh, my bad. Um, I was getting that on from our from David J. Smith, so I apologize. Sorry, David. Um, Norris At least according Cole. to basketball references. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean we, we trust it. Mm. Uh, Norris Cole, who uh, is a free agent as well, um, is maybe your best option out of these players. Luke Ridnauer, him who has been on five teams so far this free agency, and uh, I guess if he's picked up, maybe six. Kendall Marshall is available. I, I kind of don't hate Kendall Marshall. I was going to say, of the group that you just listed, Kendall Marshall is the the primary one I would target yeah. if I was trying to target a guy. He's Defensively, he's not very good, but I mean, neither are any of the other guys that were that are currently <laughs> on the roster anyway. Yeah. So it's not like you're lo- – and frankly, Kendall Marshall has been a great three-point shooter for most of his career. And if, you know, if – actually, if I had to sacrifice just the slightest bit of the overall defense – but then I knew I could have a floor spacer on the other side who didn't need the ball in his hands that much and who we could let Gordon and Alec and Rodney run their pick and rolls knowing they have a shooter with actual gravity on the weak side, yeah. I'd probably take that trade off to be totally too. honest with I, you. I would too. And that's the problem is is I don't think any of the Jazz players who are kind of iffy defensively right now, uh, those, those point guards, have that gravity. Exactly. And so I think, frankly, of the, I would not mind at all seeing the Jazz take a, you know, again, spin the wheels on a guy like Kendall Marshall and see if, you know, if he's interested, you could get him at the right, especially if you could get him at, you know, maybe two years and fully non-guaranteed a second year. So if you know, next year and you're and he's full 100% ready to go, you can just you can say sorry Kendall like we're we're moving on. Quite uh, frankly, I think you could get those guys at like partial guarantees at this point of the offseason. Right? I think you could. Uh I mean I'm not I'm not sure and it obviously depends on their agents, but I I think I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh Yeah, I mean Kendall Marshall shot 4 point or uh, four three-point shots per 36 minutes last year uh and 4.1 in his year with the Lakers 2 years ago and and made Forty percent of them, thirty nine percent. And his weak spots are is he's not the greatest pick and roll ball handler, but you don't need him to do a ton of that if you're right. going to have him starting with this group. Even if there's a chance that Trey Burke is still a better overall player than him by the end of this year, I think you could see a situation where it worked a lot better to have a guy like Kendall Marshall with the starters and then have Trey doing a lot of what he was doing last year, where he kind of he and maybe Alec Burks anchor a second unit type of thing. Let's talk about the trade market because I think that's maybe the, the one where Jazz fans would hope to get a better player mm. and definitely would be a starting caliber guy, or you could you would hope to be a, a closer to a starting caliber guy than than those free agent players we named. Right, uh, Darren Collison to me is an intriguing name. He had a what's been called a core muscle injury, um, had kind of a hip flexor problem, and then they called it a core muscle surgery. I don't know what that means exactly. Um, that kept him out of the end of last season. That being said, he's a fantastic point guard, uh, uh, at least with regards to the level of players that we've talked about. Yeah, far. I was going to say, I wanna, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, he's 8.6 uh, assists per 36 minutes last year um, is, okay. a, is a pretty good three point shooter uh, and really may be available because the, the Kings just signed Rajon Rondo. Um, presumably to be their starting point guard. Yeah. What do you think it takes to get a guy like Collison? I mean, with this Kings front office, it's so hard to like figure out like who four, they either think four are first, good players. Either, either four first round picks or one second round, right? Picks. Like <laughs> it, it, it could be literally anything. He shot thirty seven percent from three last year, not by bad the way, on on three point seven attempts per thirty eight minutes. Um, if you could get him without, sa- and I, I, I obviously I don't think you'd even consider putting one of your real time assets like a Hood or a or a Burks on the table for that. But if you could get him for some non guaranteeds and a second rounder. Would you consider tossing in a first? 
one of those future firsts? Or yeah, would... I mean, the Golden State first or the Oklahoma City first, sure. Like, okay. I, I don't have a problem with that. By the way, I, I had a dyslexic moment just a minute ago. It's 5.8 assists per 36 minutes, not 8.5, right. so my bad on that. Uh, but, I, I mean, he's he's still a 15-point-a-game kind of scorer uh, that I think doesn't need to take too many shots. Uh, How was he defensively last year? I, I, I've known him to—I've always thought of him as kind of the middle of the road defensively, like yeah, he's a little small. too small to be great but not bad as far as his positioning and his, his understanding of of where he needs to be. To be sure, and and that's a that's a real concern. I mean, he did have uh, 1.5 steals per game last year, so that's that's nice. Uh, I'm just looking up his ESPN RPM right now, the real plus minus that kind of takes into account how good he was uh, on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Because the Kings were bad last year defensively, but you know if you can kind of say contextualize, but contextually based on his he was and... a positive 0.26. So you know for being on the Kings, that that's not bad. Yeah. I I would give up one of the first. I I would. You know mm-hmm. either the Golden State first. Uh, how much is left on his deal? Two years, five million dollars per year. So he'd be movable if Exum came back next year and demand and was his skill level was demanding the starting role again. Or you could Absolutely. just move Collison back to the backup and be like, "Sorry, you're playing backup this year." Yeah, I, um, and uh, I I don't know what kind of locker room guy he is. You know, these are these are all kind of things to concern, but right. to consider. But if if the Kings were willing to move him for somewhere, you know, one of those late firsts, let's say that that would be a. That would be an option that I think I, I like best. Right. What about a guy like George Hill? He was next on our list and happened to be mentioned on Twitter by sporadic regularity right at that same moment, so good timing there. Hey, cool. Uh, what, do, what do you think about him? I, I would potentially be heavily in favor of that, of that sort of thing, although I'm worried that it would take uh, more of a legitimate asset. Yeah, and, and that's the back. thing is is who do you give up? Because I, I think that they're relying on him a lot for point guard minutes. They just signed Monte Ellis, true. Yep. But I do think they want to play small with him. Yeah, and, and I that's do think the, they want to play Ellis at, at the two more. Yeah. And and beyond those two guards, they don't really have a whole lot going no. for them at either guard position. I don't think they'd really have a whole unless they happen to be high on Trey Burke and would and would take him plus a a, a package that netted them another asset or but two. But quite honestly, nobody's high on Trey Probably Burke. Probably not. So yeah, that, I feel like that one's unlikely. If they could pull it off, I'd sure love for the Jazz to yeah, take a look at awesome. that. Um Jose Calderon is another guy that's been talked about. Yeah, and another... the Knicks would probably give you assets in order to take on his deal, which has two more years at $7 million a year. What assets do the Jazz really need, though? They don't he... need anything, but my preference... they need a point guard. Yeah, no. My, my, <laughs> my heavy preference here, and I know, uh, you know beggars can't be choosers necessarily, but my heavy preference if the Jazz are acquiring a guy is uh, unless it's a guy with a really manageable salary number, which Calderon's kind of on the line there, I would like it to be a guy who's expiring after this year, who, yeah. who where Dante comes back next year, and there's no confusion about who's who's handling the reins. I agree with that, I, but I I don't think you really have to worry about that with like a 34, 35 year old Jose Calderon. Probably true. Um, and with the salary, you know, it's not so bad that like next year the Jazz have so much have cap so space, so much room. It's between twenty and thirty million dollars just to get to the salary cap floor. Yeah. Uh, that it's not the worst thing in the world to have that contract on the books right another guy could, you would still oh, have max space to even sign a max guy next to him or if you wanted to even with jose calderon i i think i'm not positive on the math and i think it depends on who that max player is but still you're kind of cutting in and out for me i, ho- I don't know if we're both doing that i <laughs> hope we're not both doing that sorry for the technical issues this evening folks um one of the mavericks now that they've signed darren williams you kind of wonder is there a chance that they've still got J.J. Barea, they've still got Raymond Felton, they've still got Devin Harris? Yeah. Would they consider moving one of those guys uh, for a really cheap price, something yeah. like that? For a second? I, I think so. I mean, they don't need four 
point guards, quite frankly. Yeah. Three of them even have the same birthday for crying out loud, which I yeah. love. That's June 26, 1984. Yeah. Um, I would heavily prefer Felton of that group because, again, expires after this year. Where which yeah. I, I I really want. That I think Felton's the worst player of the four. He is probably unfortunately. I, I would rather have Devin Harris. Devin Harris 2.0 in Salt Lake City. Huh? Uh, uh, right, I know, <laughs> and we we know what Devin Harris brings, and it's not a lot. Don't get me wrong, and yeah. he's he's not a good defender, but he can make outside shots in a way that again no one else on this roster can, and and maybe sort of play make a little bit. He also plays at a higher tempo, right? Like, yeah. and I think that's that's something that the Jazz are lacking out of their point guards right now, or at least were last season. Brandon Jennings? That's another suggestion from Sporadic Regularity from, on Twitter. Uh, I mean, who's – what for? He does expire I, after this year, which is – that's why it's a thought. Uh, I don't know that Detroit is really necessarily looking to get rid of him, and he would cost a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, it, I mean, it's worth consideration if you could get him without giving up any of your core assets that you have right now. But I, think I don't you'd know have if to, you could, though. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you would have to. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, if if you could, he, he's, again, a good shooter, a decent facilitator. Um, wow, he, he p- passes the ball a lot more than I thought, 8.3 assists. Yeah, he can actually minutes. distribute the ball. He could be an idea, but I do think you'd have to give up more than a future first or, like, something like that, for, and more than, like, Trey Burke in a future first. I also Wait. don't know how he fits in the locker room. There have been yeah, some rumblings about that. But, you know, I, I don't hate the idea. It, uh, yeah, I, basically, if they're willing to deal, I, I have that conversation. Yeah, Um. Our friend Zach Lowe at, at Grantland today wrote an article on this and also did a podcast last night. All the attention on Utah. Um, the, uh, For the wrong reasons. So. Unfortunately, yeah. He mentioned three guys uh, all with the Bucks now that they've got Michael Carter-Williams and uh, uh, my mind is Grievous blank. Vasquez. Grievous Vasquez. Uh, he, so Jorge Gutierrez, Tyler Ennis, or Jared Bayless. I would like Bayless the most of that group based on what I know about them. Uh, we've mentioned other guys so far who I would prefer to them, particularly like I would like Kendall Marshall more than any of those, and you wouldn't have to give up assets to get Kendall Marshall. So, and then the other one is that I think we can get. Should, can we get to Garrett Temple briefly? Or should we go to break and get him on the way? Let's back? Let's go to break and get him on the way back because right. I, I think there's more to talk about there. That's that's a real rumor that's been reported by, uh, like you said, Jody Genesee. So let's take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk Garrett Temple and a, a couple other point guard replacement possibilities for the Utah Jazz should they decide to go that way in replacing Dante Exum. That's coming up next. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett with you. Uh, got a, some suggestions from J Money Sports at J Money 3334, suggesting what about Evan Turner, Norris Cole, or Pat Beverly? Let's talk about those guys. Uh, first of all, Evan Turner, neither of us like. I think Not he's a net negative. You know, I, I think if you're worried about Trey Burke, I think you have you, those same issues yep. with Evan Turner. And certain other ones also. And certain, yes. Uh, Norris Cole, we talked about uh, maybe the second or third best free agent left as at point guard in this class. Uh, I, I think the problem is there; he's just not good. You know, he's he's small. He's he's a decent little defender, but uh, you know, can't really shoot well. Yeah. Can't distribute. Based what on is he good at at this point, based on what we were talking about earlier, I I would take Kendall Marshall over him pretty quickly. If okay. if given, I mean, of course, maybe Kendall isn't interested, and maybe Norris Cole is, and in that case, you'd have to maybe at least look at it. And then Patrick Beverly just got re-signed by Houston. Yeah, so they literally can't trade him under NBA rules yeah. uh, until I think it's like December 15th. So yeah. uh, that's that's a no-go there. So that's that's those players. Uh, we mentioned the Bucks guys. I, uh, kind of the big question here is, is this player going to be a upgrade in any facet of the game compared to Trey Burke, Bryce Cotton, and, and 
around that time. Right? And not only that, but an upgrade that makes it worth potentially sending a minor asset to get them. And it would right. be a minor asset, but still. But the Jazz have so many second-round picks, that's and true. quite frankly, late first-round picks, that I'm not that worried about the assets. Yeah, you know, like, if, if you give up the Golden State first-round pick that's going to be somewhere between 25 to 30 next season, I'm not that worried about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Temple is the guy who was mentioned by our guy Jody Guinnessy of the Deseret News today as someone who the Jazz are interested in. Quote, I'm told the Jazz are interested in pursuing veteran guard Garrett Temple from the Washington Wizards to shore up their point guard platoon. Garrett Temple is 29 years old, 6'6", 190, kind of a combo guard type, but did play a lot of point guard. Actually started a couple, uh, it started 18 games last year, although at the shooting guard position for the Washington Wizards. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at point guard, he kind of makes a lot of sense. It's kind of a like-for-like replacement for Dante Axum as, as a six-six guy who has size and length and can maybe disrupt a little bit on defense. Yeah, I went ahead and actually spent like an hour earlier when I got off my flight watching some Garrett Temple tape because I was just interested to kind of see. And I'm, I honestly think that, especially considering that I think you could get him for like you might not even have to send a pick to get him. I was t- I was texting I with Dan Clayton he- about this, and Dan Dan's opinion was that there's a chance you might not even you might be able to send, either just send one of the non guaranteed guys or or something like that. Um, I, I think you do have to send a pick, and I'll tell you why. Just because they their only other point guard options on that roster, you know, even in a fringy kind of sense, are John Wall and Gary Neal, right. uh, and they don't really have a third point guard option. I I, I think you have to give up like a second. Okay, but but fair enough. Nine second-round picks in the next three years. Like, I'm, like, I'm not yeah. worried about it. They're that. not making all those picks. So, yeah, I, I think they could do a lot worse, honestly. You, like you said, he's got the size and length to approximate some of what Dante could do defensively. He's not as fast as Dante. He's not going to be able to recover from his mistakes as quickly. But he also actually makes less of them from what I saw. He's, his, his positioning and his screen navigation I was actually pretty impressed with in the time that I watched. He's... he's a, a, a smart, heady defender. He knows where he's supposed to be. Challenges shots well. He moves a lot on offense, which is going to work for a, for a jazz type system. Like he understands that he's got to make cuts and not just stand around in the corner. Um, he he, as a pick and roll operator, which again you'd he'd be sort of your second or third option there almost always while he was on the floor. But as that type of a guy, he's he's got good screen recognition. He tries way too hard in the time that I was. He tries way too hard to thread the pocket pass. Like to the point where guys were playing him to do that at certain points. Hopefully, you could work with him a little bit on that if you brought him over. The one area that I am a bit worried is the jumper. He had a big aberration year this year. Where he shot thirty-seven percent from three on eighty, you know, nearly ninety attempts for his career. He's a thirty-two and a half percent shooter from three, and I think that's pretty a lot closer to reality than what his yeah. numbers were from last year. His mechanics are not excellent on the shot. He leans really far forward on his shot as he shoots. It's a kind of a weird-looking stroke. So I don't know how much I trust him there, but in all those other areas, I think he could be perfectly acceptable. And if you, I think he really actually could approximate a lot of what Dante Exum's on court value was going to be next year, unless Dante had taken a big leap, which was possible, and yeah. which won't happen with Garrett Temple. Right. You know, as as a twenty nine year old player, he's not going to take the leap that you know yeah. the tools he Dante Exum will. Uh, I thought the Washington Post put it well when they said he's a three and D player who's close to having that three point shot where. Um, you know, he shot 37% last year. Like you said, that's probably an aberration. But still, he actually took most of his shots from three-point range last year, which I think is good to see. And, heck, on the Wizards, too, which is not a team that's really known for emphasizing yeah. that three-point shot. Uh, I, I think that's a good sign. Uh, he shot four threes a game last year, so it's clearly something he's working on. Uh, and, you know, making 37% is, is a nice percentage on that. Yeah. I, 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 I like it. Do you like it more than, say, Kendall Marshall? No. 
Really? Because a because you wouldn't have to surrender anything, and I know that that we're it's not. A round I know pick, we're not. I know we're not concerned, but assets are assets, and I'm. Yeah, you know, but they're tiny assets. No, and I just I actually the more I think about it, really think that the way a guy like Kendall Marshall would fit, you wouldn't sacrifice. You'd sacrifice something on defense, but you would you sacrifice that much more than playing Trey Burke thirty five minutes yeah. a game? Probably not. I think you would. Mm. Right? Like I, I mean, I was just talking about how. That I think Dante, or sorry, Trey Burke has become a little bit underrated on defense, but still, like I, I think you gain a lot by having a six-six guy who is a good defender out there on the lineup compared compared to Don, or sorry, compared to Trey Burke. Right. Okay. So maybe you're sacrificing a little bit more, but you again, you're bringing in a guy who I think offensively, especially with that starting unit, fits a lot more with what you're what you would want from that guy, unless of course you had a real truly capable two-way starting point guard, which <laughs> yeah. we're not getting at this right. point. Like, that's just not happening. Uh, and w- with that in mind, I, I kind of think that my preferred route might be a guy like Kendall Marshall if the, you know, if the Jazz thought that the intangibles were right and thought that, the, you know, that, that they could make him into a passable enough defender where he wasn't completely killing them. I, I think that would be my preference. Uh, see, I, I disagree. I mean, first of all, the second-round pick doesn't really even factor that much into my consideration. Like, the Jazz just sold a second-round pick, right, for a million dollars in this year's draft. Well, the other thing is that it's a roster. The other thing is the roster. Well, but that's the same thing either way, so never mind. Right, so you either have to sign a guy and fill the roster spot or trade for a guy and fill the roster spot. I don't think that the Jazz are going to trade a player away in this deal. You know, maybe you... Uh, I, yeah, I really don't think that they, they would have to. Yeah. Um, I, I think, A, first of all, Garrett Temple has a relationship with both Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay from playing with the, the Austin Toros. Uh, I, I think that's valuable that they know what they're getting with that with mm-hmm. Garrett Temple. Uh, I, I, I like it a lot better than Kendall Marshall. That's fair. And I, I to be clear, as I just said, I'd have no problem with if they could pull it off for you know, a second rounder and, and salary fodder for Garrett Temple, which they wouldn't, they wouldn't actually need to throw any salary in there for Garrett Temple. Right, it's a million dollars. Sure. Like, I, I would have no problem with them doing that and then let him come into camp and compete with Trey Burke and, and maybe the both the other two guys for depending on whether they keep Cotton or not for for the starting role. I I'd be totally fine with that. Yeah, I I, I would too and I think it's it's a upgrade and especially in just what kinds of players they have, right? You know, if you're going to build a platoon of of offensive and defensive players, it'd be nice to have a defensive player somewhere in there and right now the Jazz don't have that at the point guard spot. Yeah. Real quick, we had a tweet from uh, Riley O'Brien what do you guys think is the best case scenario for Dante Exum's points, assists, and uh, points and assists averages in his prime? So I'm assuming that Riley means a single year. I'm not huge on the on on kind of estimating these sorts of things. I'll speak. Uh, my answer will speak more to just generally what I think Dante could be as a player if everything checked off. He could be one of the best defenders at his position, if not maybe the best defender at his position. And it, it, again, as, as a ceiling. And he could be a guy capable of making spot-up shots and capable of, of getting himself into the lane and creating things for other players. I think uh, – I don't, I don't want to put a numerical value on that, but he could be, again, at his ceiling, one of the best point guards in the league. I'll tell you what, since we're almost out of time, I'll save my answer for later on. Next segment, we've got Ian Levy, the managing editor of the HP Basketball Network, coming on and joining us. That's coming up next. You're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson with Ben Dowsett joining you. We've got a concert happening on the, on the second floor here of the, of the, the ESPN 700 studios. Um, I can barely hear myself, but nevertheless. Over I, the sounds of woo! <laughs> you one of those woo girls? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Moving on, we got Ian Levy joining us. The 
new editor of the HP Basketball Network, former editor of Nylon Calculus, the the premier uh, NBA statistics website out there. Great guy. Met him at Sloan. We've had some great conversations. Um, Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. All right, so you had an article. It was either I think it was this morning on on Dante Exum's injury and its short term consequences on the Jazz's roster. Can you kind of sum that up for me? You know, what what is it? How do you think it'll change the Jazz's uh, hopes and dreams this this year? Um, well, sort of my take was that it, the the costs of the injury are more of a long term thing. Um, you know, the Jazz probably have enough talent chase a playoff spot this year um if, you know if you look at the numbers uh you know although we showed flashes exum was was mostly a disaster um statistically statistically shot probably um an all-in-one metric like box plus minus he was way 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 below replacement level so um you know even with some significant improvement the jazz are probably not significantly worse next season with or the cost, you know, down the road a year, um, you know, he's a year um, further from his prime, you know, it's a year off the contracts of Hayward and Favors, it's a, a, you know, a missed year of development between him and the other players, building rapport, you know, building chemistry on the court and, you know, all those sorts of things I think will show up later. How do you weigh that uh, versus kind of the adjusted plus-minus models that show that he had a, a big on-court impact last year in, in a positive direction? Um, well, I think one of the things with his with his numbers was that there was a lot of overlap with Gobert. So, you know, he um, when they had push at the end of the season, they went 19-10, and 10 and, and Gobert and, and he both had a starting lineup. All of a sudden, his um, his on court off court stats. So all of a sudden, there was a ton of overlap there. Um, Zach Lowe wrote about it a little bit today too. That um, you know you can trace a lot of that to Gobert. And you know while he did some good things, you know he one of them was sort of pushing Trey Burke into a different role and, and limiting some shots for Burke, who's you know not shooting the ball well this year. Um, you know there was still a lot more uh, a lot more that Exum could have done personally. We do think that there's at least likely to be, uh, and I, I've posited this, that there's going to be a, a, a significant drop-off defensively from Exum to a, a guy like Trey Burke, maybe Raul Neto, uh, maybe even Bryce Cotton, who could be who could make the roster as well. Do, would you agree mm-hmm. there? Uh, do you th- and do you think that caps maybe how great the Jazz's defense can be? Is now now is there a chance maybe that they can't? I don't know that maybe they could have maintained the historical levels they were at in the second half last year, but does this put a cap on how good they can be defensively? Uh, I think probably. Um, I think Alec Burks will, will offset some of that. You know, he was um, missed, you know, the entire second half of the year, and um, I think he's not a great defender, but he's certainly better than Burke, um, and he's... Um, you know, both he and Hayward do enough as ball handlers that they can probably play some lineups with the two of them together in the backcourt and sort of get away without a traditional point guard. So depending on the matchups, you know, he's he's going to offset some of that defensive drop-off. And, you know, it's having watched the Pacers, you know, I'm a Pacers fan, and having watched the Pacers the past couple of years, you know, Hibbert was the anchor of that defense. And George Paul George got a lot of credit. The, the job of those wings and those guards was really just to sort of funnel penetration to the big man and make sure that they're in a position to, to jump back out and contest on shooters. And so, you know, for the Jazz wings, 
air in there just makes that job so much simpler. So, you know, a player who maybe is a, is a defensive minus on their own in a different context, just sort of on their, on their bare skills, put them next to Gobert, their responsibilities are, are smaller, their role is more defined, and, and, you know, might not be as much of a negative. You actually touched on something there that I had meant to get to in our conversation earlier and then forgot about it, so I'm going to ask you about it. Uh, lineups potentially with no traditional point guards. So I think the one most people have mentioned on Twitter would be uh, uh, Alec Burks, Gordon Hayward, Rodney Hood, and then Favors and Gobert as your two bigs. <laughs> uh, do you think that that's something that you obviously you're not going to play huge periods of minutes with those, but my thought is that if Burks can can find just a bit of improvement as far as his focus level and his off-ball stuff defensively which those have been his problems on defense mm-hmm. if he i think he has the lateral quicks and the and the length to guard a lot of point there's still some point guards that are going to hurt him but i think you can get away with periods like that and that kind of a group could be devastating offensively is that something you might be looking at a little more if you were the jazz for sure and i was really excited about Burks last year before he got injured and it seemed like um if it was, if it was the, the Exum draft pick, put a little pressure on him. But it seemed like he was really pressing at the beginning of the year. He was forcing a lot of tough shots, a lot of tough mid-range shots, um, not attack, attacking the basket as well as he had. Um, but thinking about it defensively, again, you know, if, if um, Burks is matched up with a, uh, you know, with a quicker point guard, somebody who can beat him off the dribble, that that um, deficiency is not as huge when there's Gobert behind it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gobert is going to make sure that, that when Burks gets beat off the dribble, it's not going to end up in a layup. It's not going to end up in a dunk. It's going to end up maybe in a mid-range shot. And so as long as everybody else does their job and stays in position, you know, doesn't pop down and give up an open corner three, um, you know, having that, that quickness that I don't think hurts them as much. Are you on the tra- the or the, uh, the Alec Burks fan club with me, the bandwagon? I've been driving it up at full speed for the last two years. I was really, really excited about him last year, and I, one of the first things I wrote at the beginning of the year last year was, was uh, about him and his drive numbers, because the first year of, of public sport view data showed that he was one of the best penetrators in the league, um, got to the basket a lot, created a lot of really good opportunities off the dribble. Um, and then at the beginning of the year last year, yeah, it was just like a parade of, of contested mid-range shots. Yeah. I want to ask then, uh, we, we kind of mentioned the defense and, and whether or not there's kind of a cap at how good it can be without Dante Exum. Uh, if the Jazz do add a defensive point guard, you know, we, Jody Genesee talked about Garrett Temple, and we've talked about him, him earlier on in the show. Does that Does that help? I mean, I don't know if they're ever going to get to like the 94 defensive rating that they were at the end of the year, but you know, does how much of an impact I guess does one guy make on on a four man and a five man defensive lineup when when the other four guys are pretty good? Um, yeah, and particularly in this case, you know, if you have four really good wing defenders and and a terrible you know rim protector, um, you know the 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 negative of that one bad defender is probably, you know, is probably has a bigger effect on the, on the overall performance. But in this case, you know, with Gobert and Favors too, with the two of them on the back line, um, I think, you know, having, having a hole somewhere on the perimeter, somebody who gets beat off the dribble is not that big a deal. Um, I mean, when you look when you look at 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 uh, you know in an NBA offense the the dribble penetration more and more is a tool to set up other things, um, 
And so Gobert is going to close things off at the rim. And as long as those wings are able to, you know, pinch down just enough and then get back their shooters at, at the three-point line, I, th- I think it's not that huge a problem. Yeah, I think Ian is kind of making my point for Kendall Marshall here. He's making Ian. We were discussing before. <laughs> I've, I've been. We've looking at. You know, the the pickings are very slim on the free agent market. If the Jazz were looking to bolster the the point guard position, but I think a guy like Kendall mm-hmm. Marshall could be a potential addition. You know, he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's not very good defensively, but like you're saying, if you can kind of funnel, when he does get beat, you can kind of funnel that to the right places and make up for it in the right ways. And then on the other end, he fits really well with that starting group where you let Hayward and Burks and Hood do the primary initiating, but you've got an actual 40% three-point shooter to space the floor. I think it could work. What would you think about that? Uh, He's somebody who would... Speaking, uh, I'm actually I'm surprised. I didn't I didn't realize that his three point percentage had climbed that high yeah. in the pros because he was not a great not a great three point shooter in college, right. um, and he's a guy who I know st- um, statistics uh, all in one metrics really like him and always sort of look at at him as a kind of a sleeper player who hasn't gotten an opportunity or hasn't gotten enough minutes to really show what he can do. Um, Nathan Walker, one of our writers at Nylon Calculus, is uh, driving the bus for the Ken Markle fan club. So, all right. um, yeah, he he might be a good fit. Okay, well, that, I think that actually transitions us pretty well here uh, into kind of talking about your world here a little bit more there have been some big changes announced here in the last week uh with nylon calculus as you mentioned and the hp basketball and that hp being for those who don't know hardwood paroxysm network as a whole you are taking over as the the day-to-day managing editor there uh and then seth part now moves uh to the managing editor position at nylon calculus and congratulations to both of you by the way um Thank you. Yeah. What? So, what's the? What is anything going to change as far as what we're going to be? What the general public is going to be seeing from either of those sites or the HP network as a whole? What does the Ian Levy like Reign of Terror look like? Yeah. Is it a Reign of Terror? You know what? What do you have in mind? <laughs> I'm already cracking down. Uh, <laughs> now we're we're um, you know we're both honored to be stepping into these positions. Um, you know the site has an incredible legacy the alumni list, you know, people who have worked for this site and have gone on to other places is lengthy and impressive. And so, um, you know, we're, we're really excited about the opportunity, both Seth and I. Um, and I think we've got some, some really good ideas. So I know um, at HP we have some new things we want to try this year. Um, we're playing with the idea of a, of a quarterly e-magazine, um, playing around with some other different content ideas. Um, we've dramatically expanded our podcast network. Um, over the summer, and we're with a new podcast host, and, and they're giving us a chance to do some exciting things. Um, and then I know at Nylon Calculus, one of Seth's big agenda items this summer is to um, to come up with some some more um, sustainable solutions for hosting our own staff. Of our writers came up with um, some really useful metrics, some really interesting metrics, and we did not have some great solutions for hosting them this past year, so they were often hard to find. Um, hard for our writers to update and keep up with um, and then hard for other people to sort of access them and use them. So we're hoping by the time the season starts that, you know, Seth's rim protection staff and his true usage stats and uh, Kevin Farrigan's daily RAPM uh, estimates and, and all that stuff's going to be available in a much, um, much easier to use format, much more visually appealing. Uh, 
better searching, better filtering, all that stuff. I already use those stats a fantastic amount, and that's with, as you mentioned, like occasional slight difficulty in in accessing them. I can't wait for if you guys can make that happen. And and I'll point out that, you know, having talked to people not only in the Jazz, but in other teams around the league, in the front offices, they're really reading the work that's on Nylon Calculus. They're, you know, they want to stay appraised of what's going on at the highest levels of basketball analysis. And the, maybe the best way to do that right now is on Nylon Calculus, where they can actually, you know, read both your writer's work and then kind of a, a, a larger overview of what's going on in the stat world. So I don't know how much you're, you're kind of aware of that, but definitely front offices. I would say most of the front offices in the NBA are actually reading Nylon Calculus and, and kind of um, learning things from what you guys are writing. Yeah, I mean, we've heard fantastic feedback. Um, Seth and I were at Sloan this year and um, talked to a lot of people from teams. Seth was at, at Vegas Summer League this year and heard a lot of great feedback, too. Um, and everybody we talked to has had really, really um, positive things to say. And, and it's a testament to the staff. You know, I've uh, wrote less and less there as the year went on as the editorial responsibility got bigger. Seth does fantastic work. And, you know, we've got a team of, of, of 12 or 15 people there who, who um, really write some of the best um, uh, statistical stuff on the web. You gotta hope you can keep Seth around. That he's <laughs> Seth is headed for big, huge things here. Um, no, and I, I was actually I was I was uh, Seth is a good friend of mine. I was chatting with him a bit. I may make my triumphant return to that site. Yeah. Those who don't know, I actually I, I did write for Nylon Calculus until I kind of the 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 level of smartness among the other writers far surpassed that of mine as far as the data goes, at least. But I think there there could be a little room for me potentially. We'll we'll see about that. I I want to ask. I want to ask you, Ian, kind of on this, again, it's kind of on this writing tangent, but you've also been a teacher for a number of years, uh, you know, outside of basketball. Do you find any overlap between that and, and kind of teaching during your writing for a, for a larger audience in basketball terms? Well, I, I've taught elementary school the past couple of years, so the the writing stuff uh, <laughs> not has has not been a ton of connection for you know my third graders. Um, and same thing with the with the statistical stuff. But um, math is one of the things that I really love teaching. I'm interested in. Um, you know the the ways that we understand numbers, misconceptions about the ways that we learn um, number sense and how things fit together. So I've definitely learned a lot. Uh, as I've learned more about statistics, it has helped me understand you know some things about how my students have, have learned. Um, and I think you know on, on the peer level, I think there's 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 space um, nationally for you know sports statistics to be a medium for you know kids at the middle school and high school level to learn about mathematical modeling and um, scientific argumentation and you know problem solving and critical thinking and all these skills that are sort of you know a bigger and bigger part of the national conversation. I think sports analytics is like a perfect field for that um, for learning those skills and, and you know using them. That's that's it's honestly you couldn't there couldn't be a more perfect word. It's something Seth likes to say all the time to people that are wondering about quote unquote analytics, and we hate the use of the term because a lot of it is middle school algebra, a lo- you know, and a lot of it could be could be really good examples for kids to learn. Like, hey, this looks really complex. Actually, it's not. You can do this math if you sit down and think about it for thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, and just the the, um, the you know the idea. the problems that kids are asked to work on in math class and how often um, they're practicing techniques with no 
you know, sort of real world connection. And even if there is a real world connection, it's totally manufactured, you know. So the teacher makes the problem about a lemonade stand like any high schoolers, you know, are running lemonade stands these days. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not a practical application. But, you know, sports and sports statistics is, is, is something that a good portion of, of, you know, high school and middle age kids are interested in. And, and, you know, it certainly doesn't appeal to everybody. But for those kids who it does appeal to, I mean, it's, it's sort of a perfect to dig in and get your hands dirty and, and you know, try things out where it was I am I correct in remembering you're you're actually moving on from teaching is that am I right yeah yeah I've taken a leave of absence this year I'm going to uh, you know with this new position at Harvard paroxysm and um, I also joined the team at uh, sporting news I'm gonna be right for them this year so I'm gonna see if so I'm gonna see if I can uh, uh, give this uh, basketball media thing a, a go and see if it's actually sustainable well and you only write for like 400 other sites so I'm <laughs> sure I'm, I'm sure you can make it happen right <laughs> I put a lot of lines out there. Yeah. I got a lot of lines. All right. Well, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to your, to your work, both at Hardwood Paroxysm, around that network, and wherever it shows up, including on the Sporting News. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll, we'll be watching for it. We can follow you at Hickory High. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Cool. Thanks so much, Ian. Yeah, uh, bye-bye. Yeah, Ian's great. Like I said, have had number of conversations with him at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, you know, as a guy who both understands the stats of, of basketball, but also uh, is, it's phenomenal at sharing those stats and then kind of understanding basketball in other ways, too. So. And you couldn't find a nicer guy. He's, He's nice. he, you know, I, like I said, I was at Nylon Calculus for a while, and then I kind of just kind of just stopped writing for them and because it it, it what, scheduling and also just I'm not as good at math as most of those guys. Yeah. And there was no – there was not even the slightest – itch of a of a of bad feeling and I've still been able to email Ian and you know ask him for advice about anything he, he's a great guy I'm, I'm really glad to see that he's he's gotten that promotion and like and like you said we've we just habitually steal their numbers like basically yeah I mean I, use I guess is is the correct term but. yeah they want us using them so it's not really stealing no and I'm really stoked to see because there's more I've, I've remained in the, the email thread since there's more than just what he mentioned as far as stuff that has not been able to get online unfortunately because of various issues with hosting and updating and all that mm-hmm. I think the NBA world as a whole would be very would be better off to have those statistics in a houseable place. I'm, I'm really stoked to see if they can get those going. All right, I want to ask you while we've got a couple of minutes of overflow here, I want to ask you to rank the point guards, if you will. I know this is kind of going to be off the cuff a little bit. The, but the ones currently left on the Jazz? No, the uh, kind of the options available for the Jazz. Right. Okay. Because um, it sounds like Kendall Marshall is your number one. I mean, is is that well? That I mean. Like if George Hill was a realistic candidate, he would be okay. my number one. Obviously, that's not um, you can you can include. Okay, him. so I'm going to put him first. Okay, um, I think I would go with with Kendall Marshall next, then probably a Garrett Temple, and then maybe a, then you get. To, I think there's a decent sized drop off, but I, I'd be okay with a Norris Cole. Actually, I'd probably put Jose Calderon above Norris Cole, but I would live with Norris Cole. If I mean, if you could get a Brandon Jennings and didn't think he would be a locker room problem and could get it for the right price, he would be in that list somewhere there. But I just don't actually think that's realistic. Ditto with Darren Collison. Oh, sorry, I forgot about Darren Collison. Uh I would put him behind. I would put him third. I put him after after Kendall Marshall because you would put Darren Collison after Kendall Marshall. 
One of those uh, I probably, players uh, you're is like probably right. not in the league, and one of those players was a starting NBA point guard. Yeah, you're probably right. I guess I probably got to put Collison higher than him. Yes. you're right. I probably. Would. My goodness, Ben. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I also just find him, I, I still actually think the Kings are gonna want to keep him. Yeah, like, I, that's fair. I don't think they'd take the you know a second and a. You know, I don't even know if they'd do it for that future OKC first. Or I don't whatever. think they would either. I think you'd have to do like an OKC first and Trey Burke and a second, maybe you know something like Although that. Oh, I still might do that. Yeah, to I be would, totally I would. honest. Yeah. Because Darren Collison is, is good. You know, he's kind of small, but he makes shots and is, is a better facilitator. Like I said, there's an injury woe there. but uh, what's, your, what's yours? I think it's Darren Collison above George Hill, actually. Okay. Um, uh, maybe taking into account what I think you'd have to trade for them. Yeah. I, I really just don't think George Hill is available. No, he's right really thing. not. That's I, um, I shouldn't even really really be on the list. But I mean, Zach Lowe mentioned him. We've talked yeah. about him earlier this summer. I, yeah. I think it's like it's a fair name at least. To throw somebody out there. said it on Twitter. I don't know who said it before. Somebody was saying that he he could be the type of guy who. Uh, I think it was sporadic regularity that was saying that he he could be if you know maybe if Indiana is a lot worse than they think they're going to be this year, then at the deadline yeah. he could be a target. You know, and if the Jazz are right true. around that eight spot and they're like, gosh, this point guard spot is just killing us, and we need somebody there, then maybe they'd be willing to do it. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, Jose Calderon from two seasons ago, I would have loved. Last year he <laughs> was so bad that like you have to worry that it's not just a fluke; it's it's an age related. Well, thing. how much of that is Nick's stink though? And yeah, I mean, there's some of that. I, I think that's fair. Like, how does he work in a different environment? Uh, that's a real question. But there's so much risk there that if you, you take him on and he doesn't work out, then, you know, what's what's your what's your next step? Yeah, and then he's on the books the following year right. as well, which isn't – but, again, I mean, like you said, the, the Jazz still would have, you know, $20 they, million to go to get to the salary floor at that point. They have and gobs, yes. But, I, I, you know, I, I think these are things that you – have to worry about a little bit. Yeah. Which, by the way, you know what I was thinking about actually, and I, I don't know if this is taking us too far off subject, but no, while we've got a couple minutes here. before this break, I'm interested to see if the we might see a couple extensions from the Jazz next year in the in the manner that we've been seeing. Now they're they're different because guys that are on their first contract can, or they, Trey Burke and, and Rudy Gobert. Um, I was even thinking potentially for a like during next year, like what if they could extend Hayward and never let him hit the market. And extend him can for they that. Do that in the, in do the they CBA. Ha- I don't think they can. Can they not? Because he has to opt out, right? So like, and they can only. So the the extension rule is also that you can only do a certain percentage of raise over what they were before. Uh, and I think that that would basically not make any sense for Hayward. Do they have to qual? Oh, it's I, I I suppose I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking of the you know similar to what like the Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard extensions that we saw this year. But I think those guys qualified for bigger raises. Based on the uh, on the the rose stuff, the rose rule stuff right, that they've because they were first, already. they were on their rookie scales. Gordon Hayward's now on a second contract, right? So, so they, could, can, they can't do that. But could you do that for a guy like Gobert? Uh, Gobert, you could, though. I don't. Again, I I think it would be next off season that you do that. Right. right. That's one. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is that I'm. You know, you if you could do that without ever letting hit that guy hit the market, and you could give him the raise that he's going to deserve once he hits that market anyway. I think we could see the Jazz do it and use that cap space a little earlier than we had thought. Maybe. Yeah, you could. Well, except it wouldn't be earlier, right? So that that if you do an extension, then it goes on after. It doesn't the go end on to Len anyway. But you yeah, know, we saw that with Derek Favors, for example, that his twelve million dollar a year deal didn't go on until the end of his four year rookie contract. Right, but they so could you're at not least using the con- the money any earlier. Yeah, but you they'd at least have that money, the knowledge that that money was coming on the following year, which right. really means very little. But, you, but exactly, you still have to find a way to kind of spend that money. Yeah, otherwise. You're writing a a large check to the rest of the players on the roster. Yeah. 
Let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got actually some other jazz nuggets to talk about, including USA basketball news. Um, I, I maybe want to rant about a little bit. Do it. And uh, I, I still want. There's still more to explore here with this this Dante Exum injury and and point guard replacement. That's up next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700. We are currently debating the finer logistical points of, of, of the CBA uh, with regards to the extensions, <clears throat> excuse me, of Wilson yeah, Chandler and Danilo Gall- Gallinari, um, and whether or not you could do that with Favors and Hayward. I'm 100% sure you can't do it with Hayward just because he's going to opt out before his fourth year anyway, and so and will get much more money than he could get in an extension. Uh, and, you know, quite honestly, probably wants to test the market a little bit. Yeah. Like, that's that's something we saw when he was a free agent last time. Oh, and even if he wants to stick around, the amount he can get from the Jazz is much, much larger if he just wants to stay, if he opts out and stays here. Right. Uh, and, and Derek Favors, uh, you you maybe could do, although there's, it looks like you can only raise the per-year rate by 7.5%, in which case, uh, you know, Derek Favors is going to get more money than that with the cap going up. So I think... Really, this summer may have been the last we'll see of extensions for for the next couple of years, right. if I'm reading the CBA correctly, which is in com- complicated legalese and is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Regardless, um, all that Amar tweets, by the way, in, in honor of Andy B. Larson, I just ate a big serving of spaghetti. Important nice. Important breaking news. Yep. <laughs> um, in case you don't know that story, after the lockout ended in 2011, um, or 2012, excuse me, uh, it was like 3 a.m., we had a small tweet up, if you will, of me, um, Shandon Fan, and Spencer Hall, founder of Salt City Hoops. And we just went to D's and I just ordered spaghetti nice. and ate it. Isn't and spaghetti like I'm your favorite food? Yeah, it like, you know, non-dessert food category, okay. if you will. I, I think it's my favorite. All right. Anyway, let's talk basketball. Um, other jazz news, by the way, happened today, too. This USA Basketball Camp roster came out. Um, 34 players from uh, 34 American players invited to this camp in Las Vegas that will take place from August 11th to the 13th. Basically, they'll do some light practicing and and mini camp sort of stuff on the first two days, uh, and then do an exhibition kind of as, as it was pointed out by uh, Jerry Colangelo, kind of an all star game, fun, not 100% sort of thing. They're no very Paul concerned. George stanchion injuries. Exactly, they're very concerned about Paul George happening again this year and are are going to every length to have that not happen in a year where they don't have any big international competition. Right. Uh, that being said, Gordon Hayward was invited amongst the, the 34 players there. Derek Favors was not, which I'm Ooh. upset about and I'm about to rage on. And uh, Trey Burke was not, which is only notable not because Trey Burke deserves to make the team, but uh, Mark Stein had reported earlier in July that he was likely to to get an invite. Uh, Trey Burke's camp, in fact, says that he did not get a formal invite. So it sounds like USA Basketball changed their mind at the last minute to invite uh, Michael, Michael Carter-Williams Carter. rather than Trey Burke, which, quite honestly, you can't blame them for. And neither will make the team anyway, assuming that all the the, the other guys want to choose to play and all that. So right. it's it's a formality, but at the same time, would have been nice for Trey to be able to go there. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have helped him kind of get a a coaching perspective from other coaches, uh, be around some of the best players, and you know, if if maybe he realizes where his role is, that would be nice too. Uh, <laughs> that might be a lot asking a lot for a two day camp, but probably. Here we are. Uh, it, you know, it's, it, notably, it's not like last year, by the way, where they were there for you know several weeks at a time. Yeah. Instead, it's it's a three day deal. 
But I think it does kind of reflect where those players are in terms of the overall USA basketball uh, rankings, if you will. If yeah. you're not in this 34, I don't think you have a huge chance of making the Olympic roster for next season. No, you're basically and quite none. frankly, Derek Favors should be on this roster of 34 of the 34 best American players. Yeah, that's silly that he's not um, there. He was 14th in PER last season, top 20 in win shares. I mean, he just makes such a difference to this Jazz team. You look at how good they were last season when Derek Favors was on the floor, especially after the All-Star break when they were a plus 10 net rating overall, both offensively and defensively. He does so much for this team. And then you look at the other bigs who made this roster, yeah. and you know, quite frankly, Derek Favors is better in every aspect of the game than some of these guys. Mason Plumley being the key example. Uh, just uh, Kenneth Fareed. Kenneth Fareed. Uh, again, Derek Favors is better at I, I think everything than. I don't think there's a single Mason thing. Mason Plumley and, and besides Kenneth running the, running the running the break, maybe Kenneth yeah. Fareed is better at that. Okay. Other that's than fair. that, I think Derek is literally better at every single thing you ask that player to do on the basketball court. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I just I you know you can make a case for Andre Drummond. I. I that Derek Favors is better than him. That'd be closer, um, but I think yeah, I would I would probably still agree. I would probably take Derek on court right now. Like Drummond's ceiling is higher, but I would probably take Derek right now. Tobias Harris. Yeah, maybe they're bringing. Maybe they're thinking of him as a wing, like a uh, as a as a. But yeah, no, I I totally agree. Especially the Plumley. Like that's you know that's pretty clearly like a Coach K. You know, uh, favor Duke favor Duke yeah. thing, whatever. Which is um, the kind of thing that Woj ranted about, but it's still. Pretty annoying, actually, if you're Derek Favors. Yeah, it is. And, you know, who knows if maybe there, maybe maybe Derek told him he didn't want to come or something. I guess that's always possible. Probably I don't know not. if that's true because Derek Favors, six hours ago, after this news was announced, mm. tweeted, quote-unquote, dot, 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 And he deserves to be tweeting. Which is either about this or the Dante Exum thing. And given that he already tweeted about the Dante Exum thing, uh... I, I think it's it's about not being named to this yeah, team. Yeah, because Derek Favors knows that he's better than Mason Plumley. Yeah. You know, like Derek Favors is is fully aware of where he ranks in this list. Yeah, and it is not at the bottom of it. It is wholeheartedly in the middle of this. Yeah, and that doesn't make Derek Favors a a you know an arrogant guy by any means. It means that he has an he has a knowledge of where he is. It's not like he's taking too many shots out there. It's not like he's he's braggadocious. He's just like I I belong to I deserve to be on this squad and that I'm not it, it, it's it's a shame. Yeah. And you know the that. Olympics only comes around once every 4 years. I I just I I feel awful for Derek Favors here. I completely agree. Now I have a different question though. Yeah. What do you think are Gordon's chances of making the final roster on uh, this team? Because I think they're definitely better than 0. Really? I, I mean, I, I think they're better than zero in that in kind of the Kevin Pelton any chance way, where yeah. if, whenever he's asked in any of his chats, is there any chance that X is Y? Of, of course there is like, a of chance. Of course there's yeah. a chance. That's yeah. just <laughs> like quantum mechanics says so. But, uh, you know, you look at this roster, and I I don't know if, if there's a, a realistic chance. Uh, you know, you look at the wings, for example. Uh, Carmelo Anthony is making it, even though Melo has his own... Mello quirks. He's still yeah. Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. Uh, Paul George, I think, has has a better chance of making it than Gordon, Hay- yeah. Gordon Hayward, depending on how he is uh, compared to this injury. I think they'd rather bring Clay Thompson just because I think he's a better complementary piece. Yeah. Um, and you know, quite Probably honestly, a is that a similar exactly. Uh, Kevin Durant, you know, obviously he's deserves to be it. on this roster. LeBron Although- James deserves to be on this roster. Uh, it'd probably take one or two of those guys choosing to sit out. Right. 
Jimmy Butler, you can make a case as a better role player than Gordon Hayward is. You could. Uh, it depends what role you want them there for, but yeah. As, as a defender, I think he's, he's Oh, he's a much better, better defender. And... Yeah. Yeah, I and, he, and you know, yeah, you're right. That whatever one of these guys makes it is not being asked to initiate the majority of the offense, right? Because which, you have LeBron James and yeah. and, uh, yeah. and James Hayward's, Harden, and Hayward's much better at that than Butler. But that's not what they're going to be asked. To I do. haven't mentioned James Harden by the way yet, but he's probably your fifth or sixth wing on this roster. Yeah, he can probably be. Uh, Russell Westbrook, you know, as point guard, but again, is using a lot of possessions. Chandler Parsons is on this roster. I think you know Hayward's better than that. Yeah, uh, Rudy Gay, same thing. Rudy Gay, same thing, but. DeMar DeRozan, same thing. Bradley Beal, same thing. But you look at it and you, you say that Hayward is probably at best the sixth best player, the sixth best wing on this roster. At best. And so that means, you know, you need a full 15 guys and you need to run a lot of wing. I, I just don't think they... Yeah. they that plus his skill set overlapping. Like if he was more of a Butler type who was better at kind of other things that they could like be the Andre Iguodala from right. the last one, but he's not. He's, he's so. a jack-of-all-trades sort of player, yeah. which makes him incredibly valuable, especially to this Jazz roster. But it's not. It doesn't make him valuable to Team USA because, right. and and maybe that's a little bit of why Derek Favors isn't there. Um, although I would say that like Mason Plumlee is like a jack of no trades player, and it's yeah. ridiculous that he's there. But um, you know, he doesn't have the one skill that you can say that he necessarily brings uh, to to a, a Team USA sort of thing. Um, Derek Favors deserves to be there, let, let's be clear. Yeah. But he, I, I don't know if he deserves to be in the top 15 of all American basketball players. No. Especially as you put together a, a roster that's trying to beat other teams. No, I don't think Derek would be able to make the final roster, but I do no. think it is kind of insulting to not in, invite him to this. And Derek you know, was insulted, it sounds like, from, yeah, from his Twitter be. account. Yeah, I I really don't know. I I you know, I I like actually what happened to the USA basketball team in 2004 because since then uh the the bronze medal finished because since then they have been so much more focused on on this program and I like actually international basketball a lot despite the fact that it tends to hurt our players. Yeah. Uh <laughs> but I I think international basketball is fun. Oh, it's a great time. I so I guess we fully and by the, the way I was I was meaning to ask this earlier. Yeah. Last Olympics there was a whole lot of hullabaloo over they're not going to let, you know, this is going to be the last one where the NBA, where the top NBA players play. They're going to make it 23 and under. That right. kind of just, that, that just went out the window. Like that's Yeah, not... I think that was a proposal that ultimately most people, I think, were against. Yeah, including me. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that happened. I'm just, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't something that's still like in the cards. Because that's what soccer does, right? That's what soccer does, these, these under 23 players, and then you can have three over 23 guys yeah. who make your roster and and kind of how good those guys are depends a lot changes a lot of how competitive you want your olympic team to be yeah uh but i i like that the olympics kind of matters in, in basketball you know it, obviously the usa are are the big favorite favorites but i i still like it i just like watching that collection of players together like i'll fully admit yeah. it i don't own i don't play video games that much and i don't own nba 2k but when i play nba 2k I play as like the dream team or oh, one really? of those all the time because I want to play as that group of players together. I want to be like, wait, I can have LeBron and Durant together. Okay, let's do that. See, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm like that guy who picks the Jazz and then goes online and plays against those dream team players yeah. or you know like the Cavs or yeah. whatever. You play uh, as Real Salt Lake on FIFA. I absolutely play as Real Salt yeah. Lake on FIFA, and actually, that's a sort of fun way to play on FIFA, especially online because then they match you up against other three star teams. So yeah. you're out there like playing against. You know, Mexican teams or like the second division English teams, and it's kind yeah. of fun. I don't know. 
you get you don't get the cheesers as much as you will in, in, yeah. in FIFA or NBA 2K for that matter. No, that's fair. Um, but I'm that guy who, and and it translates over to what I like. I love watching Olympic basketball just for this being like uh, it's the only time I ever get to watch a collection of players this awesome together on one team. Do you play FIFA, by the way? I used to play it a lot. I used to have an Xbox and play it. Now I don't own any video game systems. So, like, I'll have to get... I'll, sometime i got to come over and give you a challenge. You'll probably kill me, but, like, I'd have to at least try it well, out. Well, so we have FIFA at the KSL um, studios, right? Oh, and, man. On the fifth floor by the basketball shooting machine. I didn't... We can we can make this happen. I only ever focus on the basketball shooting machine, which, for, for no, which I hold Xbox records. There, no, way. I know there is. I've just never actually gotten on it. I'm only... <laughs> I only am ever up there on the weekends when I'm there completely by myself. Like, I'm... So I just play Pop Shot and crush that machine <laughs> yeah you, you do set, you have set the record in in your mind at least with mm, yeah. 96 i think is well your... no somebody told me somebody was i posted it on twitter like a month ago and somebody was telling me that it's actually the reason it still only says 74 on there is that somebody actually put up a 174 and it oh. can't put the one in there to me that's physically impossible unless someone Maybe is standing cheated. unless somebody cheated and had people throw them the ball and were standing right next to the thing and just dunking balls into it over and over <laughs> it seems impo- physically impossible because i can't throw them much faster than i'm throwing them right. and i could miss zero and my the highest i'd ever be able to get would be like 110 or 115 mm-hmm. like that when i got that 94 i barely missed we should, we should find the way to reset the machine. I've been working on this for like three months. <laughs> we, no, if we found the way to reset the machine, then like we could find the the one true hero, right? The guy who still works there, if you will, and and what the newest record is. Yeah. Although you know maybe that guy that guy maybe that guy's a legend. Maybe he deserves to have his Possibly. place in history. Yeah. I don't know. Let's take a break. We have to anyway. Uh, this is the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. <clears throat> Yo, this is G Time right here. Allow me to introduce. B Rizzo on the mic, along with Gino. Let's do this real quick one time. Yo, I drive to the cup, just call me Ronnie. Step back, three balls wet like the sun. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Not our fault. Gordon Hayward's fault. This isn't Gordon. No, this is... uh. No, this is yeah. You're right. This is but just the song is terrible. Oh, it's 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 about as bad as they get. <laughs> I think Gordon's verse was probably the best one. The lyric is so bad too. Uh, you wonder, did to... they write them together? Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, you got to yeah, you got to turn it off. <laughs> Turning my own mic down. Um. Yeah, no, that song's bad. Well, while you were gone, we did a show where we just kind of ranked the songs in jazz history. Yeah, yeah. The best one, can we play j- some Jazz Brothers, by the way? It's going to be a minute. But the Jazz Brothers were a troop. I don't know if you you listened to the show at all while you were gone, but Thurl uh, not, not Bailey uh, was, um, obviously you know Thurl, yeah. fantastic singer, but he also got together a bunch of other jazz players, including like Carl Malone, Ricky Green, uh, like... I don't even know who else, but they made this like cool '80s funkadelic band. Is that what this is? And that's what this is. This I've is never the Jazz heard, Brothers. I've never heard this. Is this keeping it sexy? This is uh, what is it? Keep fighting. Yes. Wow. I did this. If if this was made in any other decade but the '80s, it would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a verse. <laughs> Ain't nothing gonna stand in our way. No, you know we're gonna do this it. This is Carmelo, by the way. Be no doubt about 
I'm not just imagining him. I'm imagining them doing this, like actually recording it. Yeah, no, they, they got a recu- recording studio and everything. It was great. Anyway, that's awesome. Listen to that podcast, by the way, if you haven't already. It was a couple of weeks ago, but um, it seems like every show we end up talking about songs in this last segment. Yeah, because it's fun. I don't know. Um. All right. Final question for today. Does this change the Jazz's chances of making the playoffs? Um, I think marginally. But not injury, yeah. just for context. I think marginally, but to me, I, I think they had enough cushion anyway that I don't think so. I legitimately... You think they have enough cushion that they're like going to make the playoffs by several wins? Yeah. Really? Actually, because I don't think that Phoenix is going to be very good. Yeah, and but... I And I, you know what? For as much, you know what, Anthony Davis is going to wreck worlds and is probably going to win MVP next year, and I'm going to pick him. But I, I don't know that New Orleans is better than Utah next year, uh, unless they can get 82 games from Drew. But if they can get 82 games from Drew and Anthony Davis wins the MVP, then yeah, they're probably better than the Jazz. But uh, <laughs> but but I don't know that you, counting on 82 from Drew is a real thing you can do at this point. Yeah. And, I- I don't know that I think New Orleans is a better team than the Utah Jazz. I I I'm, I really even without Exum. I don't think so. Like I I agree with you, but I think that's that's a pretty high bar still. You know, like I I think an MVP Anthony Davis or even close. You know, I think he's going to be top five again next year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe just a slightly healthier rest of the roster. And quite frankly, a coach who cares in Alvin Gentry. Um, that's true. I I think you you get a couple more wins. You know, I I think they're probably a. 48 win team next season, right? At at worst. I don't know. They that, were 45 I don't know that I'm willing to, last season. I don't know that I'm that I'm willing to go there. You just don't yet. think that they have two to three wins of, of development and, and growth and heck better coaching in them? Probably, but I'm not like a hundred percent willing to just pencil them in at seven and say that the Jazz are only playing for eight. Right. No, neither am I. So but I'm but I'm saying that so you're saying that uh Pelican seven, Jazz eight, or somewhere in there. So you think there's like an established top six that the Jazz aren't going to get into? Uh, probably. I, I agree with that, by the way. I think Golden State, Houston, Clippers, Memphis, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City are probably all better than the Jazz. I, I am going to take flack for this, and I know I'm going to take flack for this. There's a chance. I think there's a chance the Jazz are better than Memphis. There, I said it. So, That's but, fair. No, I, I, I really think so, especially, obviously, if you had any missed time for Gasol or Conley. I think there's there's an act. And, you know, and neither of those guys, especially Gasol, are young. I I think it's possible that but, the Jazz are better than them. So here's the thing. You you keep counting on these injury woes from other teams, but like if Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, oh, Rudy yeah, Gobert for go down for any time at all this right. season, like the Jazz are screwed, right? Like they, they have no backup really starting quality backup to play a front court position. Right. I also just I and maybe it's just because I'm a homer. I, I I really like the Jazz spanked Memphis. Twice last year, down the didn't or at least once. I say maybe I'm mixing my my Memphis and Chicago up because of the various Gasols. But then they, but they <laughs> you know, they the, the the I think the Jazz were a better team than Memphis for the last half of last year. And you know, I don't think that they've lost all that much this year. Exum hurts, but you're getting Burks back. Yeah, you're getting another year of development from everybody. I I don't know. I'm just I'm not yet willing to go. And more importantly, I think there is a legitimate gap between the Jazz and the teams below them. I think there's a legit gap between the Jazz and Phoenix or Sacramento or you know maybe Minnesota if they have a, a resurgent year or whoever I, or Portland or Dallas. I think Dallas falls out and I think there's a pretty significant gap there. I, I really think 
that, that I really think that's the case. Yeah, I, I do too. I think I think the Jazz are probably the eighth best team in this conference because Portland and Dallas have fallen out. Yeah. Um, and no one else is taking that jump, uh, besides the Thunder. Yeah. In, into the playoffs. Yeah, and I'm assuming the Thunder in that top group, and that's fine. But I I really think the, that there's a big gap between those next. So Tyson I, Chandler helps the Suns, but I you know I I don't think that it's it's a big move. Yeah. And then I think the the fans who think that the Kings and Lakers are going to compete are really <laughs> cute and should be laughed at as much as possible. Can, I'm trying to decide by the way if LOL Lakers is going to make its triumphant return next year. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> oh, there's like no question. Those okay. guys are going to be horrible. They, they're they're going to be really really. They bad. think they're going to be like pretty good. They're not. They do have like a starting lineup that is consistent of NBA players, which you know can't be said of last Pe- year's. People team. do remember that that when Kobe Bryant was still healthy last year, they were god awful. Right. <laughs> we're not doing it now. We don't have any material for it. <laughs> we just think the Lakers are going to be bad. Oh, uh, they're going to be hilarious. It's going to be really funny. And also, the th- I think that we're we've seen from the summer so far that D'Angelo Russell is not going to quite be the on court guy next year that they yeah. need to make a real improvement. Also, the Kings. That guy who wrote the Kings are better than the Jazz piece. Yeah, that's Did you awesome. see that? No, um, but I've, I heard compared, about it. Yeah, so they com- he compared the Jazz and the Kings in every position. He started out with point oh, guard. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see that, yeah. Point guard, you know, yeah. Kings admittedly have a better point guard situation than the Jazz, sure. Shooting guard, called it a push. That's strong. <laughs> You've got Alec Burks and Rajon Ro- and, and sorry, Alec Burks and Rodney Hurd versus uh, Ray McCollum and... Ben McLemore. Ben McLemore, right. Not close, whatever. Pro Jazz, he called it a push. Small forward, he called a push between Rudy Gay and Gordon Hayward. And I think while Rudy Gay is actually a little bit underrated at this point, Gordon Hayward's just much better. Power forward, yes. DeMarcus Cousins is better than Derek Favors. You know, I know a lot of Jazz fans would take Derek Favors because of all the off-court stuff and blah, blah, blah. But I think on-court, DeMarcus Cousins showed enough last season when he was healthy to say that he's better. Though not by nearly enough to offset those other positions. (laughs) The worst, right. The worst one, though, was the center position where he said uh, Rudy Gobert was a push with Willie Cauley-Stein. Well, everyone knows that. It's just not good. The Kings are not going to be good next season. I'm sorry, everyone. No, and neither's Minnesota. A lot of people want right. to pick Minnesota. They're too young. Who's They're picking not Minnesota? I've seen it. Ugh. I've seen people pick Let's Minnesota to make those the playoffs. People. Yeah. Jazz, at least the AC next year. I, I still think, even with the Dante Axman injury. Yep. We're out of time on the show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, ESPN700Sports.com, SaltCityHoops.com. Again, thank you. This has been the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN700. <laughs>